Welcome to Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. Did you know that since the early days of the church, Christians had a tradition of three colors of martyrdom, but few Protestants have ever heard anything about that. And that's unfortunate because the tradition has deep biblical roots. I mean, Jesus says that anyone who would follow him must take up the cross. And joining me to talk about the three colors of martyrdom is Dr. Eric Foley, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Voice of the Martyrs Korea, supporting the work of persecuted Christians in North Korea and around the world. And Dr. Foley joins me from Seoul, Korea. Eric, great to see you again. Great to see you too, Greg. Now, before we talk about the three colors of martyrdom, and I'm sure there's people going, okay, tell me about that, and we promise we will. But uh, during the pandemic, uh, North Korean Christians, of course, have been affected like the rest of us. Any idea what's happening there, Eric, in terms of are they able to meet and uh, what's the situation there right now? I think, Greg, um, the approach to the pandemic among the uh, persecuted churches around the world has in many ways been much more of a Christian model than what we've experienced in uh, countries that traditionally we associate with more freedom of religion. Uh, so whether we're talking about China or North Korea, uh, I think the brothers and sisters there have approached the pandemic the way they approach everything, which is uh, that they see in it God's action, uh, God's opening certain doors and closing others. You know, if, if as a Christian in a country like North Korea or China, you're used to dealing with um, uh, opposition of all kinds. So uh, although maybe this level or type of opposition or difficulty um, may be newer for, for uh, in countries where there's freedom of religion. It is just another day at the office for Christians in North Korea. So for example, last year, Greg, in the 12 months of 2020, we distributed through our North Korean underground church partners, more Bibles in both prints and audio forms than we have in any previous year of hand-to-hand -hand distribution in the last 20 years. Why is that, Eric? What, what's, is it well, because of the pandemic or what's going on? There, there was, yeah, there were some direct causes uh, that made that so. You know, we think of the pandemic as, as making it harder for people to meet, but it also made authorities in North Korea uh, less interested in doing house-to-house -house searches. If you're a, a police uh, officer or a state security agent in North Korea, the last thing that you want to do is to contract the coronavirus. Uh, and I mean that not just for your personal health, I mean it for your, your, uh, your health in relation to the state as well. Uh, so uh, what happened was is that, that the, um, the invasiveness and the number of house-to-house -house searches actually decreased in certain areas. Uh, that didn't necessarily make it easy, but it made it so that some opportunities were opened up that might not have otherwise been opened up. Same thing's true with the fact that in, in China, especially in North Korea, um, there was a, a strong sense that the coronavirus could be spread through merchandise, through uh, even through uh, frozen foods that were being transported. It made it less likely for shipments to be in, 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 uh, invasively um, reviewed. And so all of those kinds of things really bode well when you're trying to move um, Bibles and electronic uh, media, MP3, MP4, MP5, SD cards, USB, DVDs, all those other kinds of things. And that's exactly what happened. Um, there were times that um, in Northeast China and North Korea that certain segments of the countries were really under a tight lockdown. And uh, yet uh, Christians then who um, would go to visit other Christians in, in many cases, they had an easier time because nobody else was out. So all that, all that meant 
was that uh, from the time of the start of the pandemic, especially in those first crucial months where nobody, where people really didn't know what they were getting into, um, Christians in North Korea and Christians in China uh, could take advantage of that to carry out their gospel work. In addition, um, there are some populations of uh, North Korean people. You know, North Koreans aren't only found inside North Korea. Right. You have women who are sex trafficked from North Korea to China. And during the pandemic, uh, the markets made it so that you had to show your Chinese ID. Well, North Korean sex trafficked women have no Chinese ID. They're not there legally. And uh, people may say, well, why wouldn't they want to go to the market and say, hey, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. Send me back. And the answer is because all of that sex trafficking happens in the full knowledge of the North Korean state. When you get sent back, you're punished for having defected. So uh, there was some real need for humanitarian intervention with those vulnerable populations of uh, North Korean Christians, like those sex trafficked women in places like, uh, like China. So it has been a very busy and a very fruitful time for persecuted Christians. We don't see that changing, Greg. That's, that's continuing now to this day. Just this week, I reviewed another set of uh, correspondence that we received from North Korean Christians who had received our Bibles in print and electronic form. Uh, and again, there were opportunities that we wouldn't have had if we were outside the pandemic. So God works all things together for the good of those who love him. How did you and your team have to then adjust, Eric, to the pandemic in terms of the ministry you were doing into uh, into North Korea? Did it affect you, uh, you know, the way that you were doing things in a great way, or is it kind of business as usual? Uh, I would say that um, uh, the way that our organization is set up at BOM Korea is really designed to be, uh, if, if you permit me the word, modularized. In other words, it's designed to be able to be separated out into smaller pieces to, to make it so that uh, we, if for some reason, one part of the ministry is compromised or shut down, the rest of the ministry won't be impacted. So we really are designed from, from top to bottom uh, to, to make it through these kind of situations. In our organization, because of the challenges that we face, for example, with our balloon launching situation, we're even designed to continue in, in, in the most difficult situations here in South Korea. So to give you an idea even of how it impacted us in South Korea, you know, we operate two schools with the support of Voice of the Martyrs Canada. One is for discipleship training for North Korean defectors to help them to understand the gospel uh, as it's always been taught by the underground North Korean church. Uh, here in South Korea, they're primarily uh, taught in a South Korean way using the South Korean Bible, which is 40% different in dialect than, North, than the North Korean one. You know, the North Korean Christian model is designed to, to it's a lay model. It's not a pastor-led model. Uh, so it's very different. So in the underground technology school, we teach uh, the faith. We do discipleship according to the traditional North Korean underground church method. And we see great growth on the part of the students. Then some of them continue on to our underground university training school. And Greg, you've taught there. Yeah. And you've, you've visited, um, been on visitations with the students. And... Um, in that case, we're teaching them how North Koreans have done evangelism and discipleship to reach North Koreans anywhere. So during this pandemic period, uh, where it's been difficult for any school to operate anywhere in the world, it, it was actually to, to the benefit of the students because we had to break things down to where students were meeting in threes and fours in order to meet the local coronavirus regulations here in Korea. The students learned better. Uh, they told us that they liked it better because it was um, they they were uh, they were learning in the very same setting that they're normally accustomed to doing ministry in. 
And so we never would have chosen it, Greg, but, it, but the Lord used it to bring growth in the students that we couldn't have otherwise imagined. So I don't want to say that the pandemic has been good, but what I want to say is that the Lord has used it for his good, even as difficult as we face these circumstances all over the world. What we've seen is this has been a great and fruitful year for Voice of the Martyrs Korea in North Korea and China ministry. Yeah, and I and I know that has been the same for Voice of the Martyrs Canada. We've had to adjust. There's times you get frustrated. We can't get to the persecuted Christians uh, that we're used to in terms of being yeah. able to fly internationally. All those things have changed. But uh, God is a creative God, and uh, he was not caught off guard by this. We may have been, but, you know, as I've talked to other partners around the world that we work with in the persecuted church, and they have these amazing stories of how people are coming to faith, how, you know, they're just have some freedom and things like that. So when Eric, you, when you hear like churches in Canada, the United States, um, maybe even over in South Korea, and there's this, well, we can't meet, and this is terrible. They're taking away our rights. And, you know, yeah. the Bible says that we should not, you know, forsake meeting together. And, and, and I understand that. But how do you react when you hear that? And like where I live in Alberta and Canada, Western Canada, you can have 15% of how, however big the building is fire code. And so people can get together. Yeah, you have to have your masks on. Then you've got others that are saying, no, we're going to meet no masks, no social distancing. Yeah. And they're saying, you know, this is infringing on our religious rights. How do you respond to that? Well, I think um, historically for Protestants, we've said that the, the church comes into existence anytime that the gospel is preached and heard. And so um, what that means is, is that the form in which that preaching and hearing takes place is going to change, changes from country to country, and it changes from circumstance to circumstance. So I think that um, the, uh, that's why the persecuted church is, is not an object of pity for us, but really a subject of study, isn't it? I mean, we watch what they do and we learn from it. So I think that uh, the, um, the, the, this uh, around the world, this year, uh, what I see happening reminds me of the book of Acts when uh, persecution first fell on the Jerusalem church. Would they have chosen it? No. Do we glorify persecution? No. Does persecution come to the church uh, uh, when we're trying to live faithfully in Christ Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So in, in, when persecution hit, the church had to change its plan, right? It, it, didn't, it couldn't continue on the way it had been continuing on. And so the church was flung out to Samaria and uh, to the ends of the earth. And so uh, that sets the stage for the, the amazing, miraculous events in the rest of the book of Acts. So I am uh, always hopeful about how God is using the circumstances of the day in order to bring about his purpose. There's really, I, I, I respect the fact that there are Christians for whom they feel that, um, that they, they, they want to make a legal appeal and that if that legal appeal is lost, they're losing something precious. We certainly understand that. Yeah. At the same time, uh, when Paul says, isn't it better that you be wronged? There's a way in which that has a broader application than even what he was talking about in, in Corinthians about the dispute between believers. In some cases, it's, it's amazing things happen to us when we are wronged. And uh, yet we continue to hear and preach the gospel. And so that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing the church around the world stuck and in need of prop, you know, beneficial and favorable legal rulings in order to be able to get back on track again. Uh, certainly the forms of worship are changing, 
the, the ways the church meets are changing, but church has never for Protestants been defined by a building space. It's never de been defined by a particular liturgy. It's defined by preaching the word and hearing the word and then faithfully administering the sacraments and the discipline of the church. I mean, those are always the hallmarks of Protestant Christianity. Yeah, and I think it'd be important, too, for some of our Protestant evangelical friends maybe to look back at, you know, when there was the Reformation, that was a big part of it. So we just need to remember that. By the way, if you would like to watch this interview, you can go to the show notes on this podcast and click on the link. And you can also get the website if you'd like to find out more information about the Voice of the Martyrs Korea. We also have a link there. Okay, Eric, we're now going to move into the traditions of the three colors of martyrdom. And as I mentioned off the top, Protestants, that would include evangelicals not familiar with that tradition. Why, is, why do you think that is so? You know, Greg, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure any branch of Christianity that's really um, uh, familiar with um, this kind of um, tradition in the church, it actually um, goes back to the earliest days of the church. And so um, uh, people that are students of church history uh, will find that they can't overlook it. Sometimes it's expressed in terms of colors, other languages used. It carries up all the way through the Reformation so that, um, you know, Martin Luther, he doesn't talk about the, the colors of martyrdom, but he talks about um, the different kinds of martyrdom. And that's really the, that, that's really the important thing. The, it would be impossible for any Christian, in my opinion, to read the Bible and not be aware of uh, the fact that the Bible speaks about martyrdom in a much broader context than it is spoken of today. You know, today, Greg, when we hear martyrdom, what we uh, all automatically think about is uh, death in a bloody instant due to refusing to deny the faith. And uh, that definition of martyrdom really owes more to, um, to the, the world's way of thinking than it does the biblical way of thinking. So when we talk about the three colors of martyrdom, or we talk about different types of martyrdom, we're really talking about um, different ways of expressing things that are embedded deeply in Scripture. And um, I, I, you know, when I when I found out about the three colors of martyrdom, I liked it just because it was a really uh, easy way to remember it. Um, but it's certainly not it's not a new teaching. It's not a novel teaching. It's just a different way of expressing something that unfortunately we've lost about our understanding of martyrdom, which is a, it, it, martyrdom always means something more than laying down your physical life. Okay, Eric, before we get into the three colors of martyrdom, uh, many Christians, I think, maybe have the habit of trivializing, you know, what it means to take up the cross and equating that maybe to our first world problems. Yeah, what, what comes to mind for me, Greg, I think about many times of studying the Bible with North Korean Christians and uh, reading through a specific passage of scripture where my whole life I've been taught uh, to understand that particular scripture metaphorically or symbolically. And, and I'm saying that from an evangelical context, right? Um, but North Korean Christians, as I like to say, they take it straight between the eyes. So when Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. We, we Westerners have a tendency to say, yes, take up uh, the cross like um, the, you know, the back pain I have or my oldest son being disobedient. When North Koreans hear it, they go, yeah, take up the cross, like taking up your cross, like being crucified, like being killed. And so um, I, I, I find that sometimes we're, we're a lot less literal. We, you know, the evangelicals like to, like to take the Bible literally, but sometimes we don't take it literally enough. 
And where we don't take it very literally is in the area of taking up our cross. That's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. And that's our experience though, right? We, like the North Koreans, I mean, they know that to make a decision to follow Jesus could cost them their life or they could spend the rest of their lives in prison. So for them, you know, to make that leap to understand what it does, you know, means yeah. to take up your cross makes sense to them. For us, not much, you know, that's really not what we've experienced. And unfortunately, what it shows is not a problem at the edges of our theology, but a problem at the center of our theology. You know, this is why coming to a proper understanding of martyrdom is so key. You know, Greg, if I, I, a lot of times when I'm teaching, I ask people, what is the most common way that we Christians are referred to in the New Testament? What's the term? Is it people of the way? Is it believers? Is it Christians? Is it, is it um, Christ followers? Is it disciples? The answer is none of the above. The answer in the New Testament is that we are most commonly referred to as martyrs because that word martyr is, is, is used more than 200 times right, in the yeah. New Testament. And when it's used, that Greek word martyr doesn't mean laying down your life in a bloody moment. It means faithful witness. So, for example, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. He's got his disciples gathered around him, and he said, and you will be my witnesses. And that word witnesses is, in the Greek, the word martyrs. So right. anytime that we come up to that kind of a word, uh, it's, and it's not always the word witness, it's a much broader family of words in terms of how they're translated in English. But that is the most common way that we are referred to in the New Testament. We are martyrs. And so when people say, I'm not ready to be martyred, I don't think I would be faithful unto death, all these other kinds of things. Again, that's not a problem that's going to hit us at the point on the edge of the sword. That's really an issue that we need to face on a day-to-day -day basis of, of whether we truly understand um, what, what is the basic job description of the Christian, which is the job description of being a witness. And so that's why the three colors of martyrdom or the other ways it's been described in church history. It's not just a mere kind of theological curiosity uh, or a way that we might categorize the forms of death that happen in the 70 countries where Christians are persecuted. It's really a way of understanding um, what it means to be a faithful witness of the three aspects of that faithful witness. Yeah, and I want to circle back to that in just a moment, that whole aspect that, you know, martyr, when you when you take it from the Greek word, it actually means witness. So it's a broader, yeah. and that, that includes all followers of Jesus. It's not just this select group, you know, the apostles or, you know, people throughout the centuries or even today. And uh, they don't want to be referred to as heroes, you know, those that have, you know, endured incredible pain. I mean, when you think of Voice of the Martyrs, and when I joined the ministry, it took a little bit of time for me to understand it was more than just about being imprisoned or tortured or killed. And as our good friend Floyd Brobel in his new book, Trouble on the Way, helped us to understand, you know, the levels of persecution or the persecution yeah. scale. But okay, let's get into the three colors now of martyrdom. Let's start with red. And I think, again, that would probably be where most people would be thinking, you know, violent death, you know, showing your love for God, even right to the point of, you know, your life being taken. So let's start with red, Eric. Yeah, so um, as you say, red is kind of uh, intuitive, isn't it? Then when we talk about red martyrdom, that is um, uh, in this three-part uh, color scheme that appeared early in the church's history, long about the third and fourth centuries. Um, uh, red martyrdom is, is, the, is the term that was used to describe that actual physical laying down of your life. Now, 
let, let me just plant this seed early in this conversation about the three colors of martyrdom, Greg. It says that all the way up to Martin Luther, Martin Luther said that is the easiest of the three forms of martyrdom. The other two, which precede it, are much harder. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah, you're, I guess if you're killed, that's, that's it. There's no more suffering. You're with Jesus, right? Yeah, and it's the, 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 um, we, we come back again to understanding um, the biblical meaning of martyrdom, which, again, is the most prevalent way we're described in the New Testament. We wrongly think, because we take our cues from the world, that first there is persecution, and then we have to decide whether we're going to be martyred. That's backwards. Biblically, there is always martyrdom first. There's faithful witness, and the result of faithful witness is always persecution. So if we start from the world, we think that the world is on the offensive, Christians are on the defensive, Christians are getting killed, we need to get to uh, legal judgments in our favor, we need the protection of governments, you know, uh, only the superhero giants uh, can lay down their lives, the rest of us will probably apostasy. But see, that's backwards, isn't it? Because martyrdom means faithful witness, and the church is on the offensive. The church, from the time that, that, that Christ lays down his life on the cross, resurrected, ascended to heaven. The gates of hell don't prevail against us. We are on the offensive. Persecution is always the world's response to martyrdom. It's the world's response to faithful witness. The way I like to describe it, it's the world's way of saying, ouch, because the church is pushing into the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, which can't defend itself against the word of God, this sharp two-edged sword. It gets poked. It gets hurt. And so it, it responds in kind. It responds uh, with physical violence. So uh, when we talk about red martyrdom, I still I, I want to be very clear that it is uh, red martyrdom is not the result of persecution. And I know that sounds very backwards, doesn't it? Because we would mm -hmm. say, well, uh, wait a minute. How could somebody be martyred if there wasn't persecution? That's true. In other words, when someone is put to death, obviously the kind of putting to death we're talking about here is it typically happens on, on the part of the enemies of the gospel. But, but red martyrdom then is the way that God makes the witness that the gospel is, is, is even more valuable than, uh, than the preservation of our bodies. It's, it's how Jesus says, hey, don't worry about the one who can uh, destroy the body. Yeah. Worry about the one who can take the body and soul and throw it into hell. So we need to understand that red martyrdom is not the result of persecution. It is, a, it is God's reminder. It is how God reminds the church um, that the faithfulness that's called for is the faithfulness all the way to laying down our lives. And when we do that, uh, Tertullian said it was the seed of the church. What that means is when we see brothers and sisters laying down their lives, it reminds us of the value of the gospel and we are well, always martyrdom doesn't point to itself. It points back to the cross. And so red martyrdom doesn't save anyone, but it reminds us all of the sacrifice of Christ who does save his atonement on the cross. And so the value of martyrdom for us biblically, um, like what we see, for example, in Stephen's martyrdom, it's, it's not the sad, unfortunate result of a Christian who got caught in the world, uh, world's offensive against the church. no. It is the church on the offensive against the world. The world fights back. But even in our death, there's victory because our death always points back to the cross. It reminds the church of uh, the, the faithfulness of Christ unto death and beyond. So even in red martyrdom, the emphasis is not on the persecution that we receive. We don't cry and, 
and mourn and call for better laws and legal protections. What we do is we see that God chose this person for martyrdom. They've been prepared to make the witness and the witness that's made, which is made to the world and to the church, has carries forward on for until Christ returns. Greg, we're still talking about ev- almost every martyr, uh, anyway, all the martyrs that we know about that that has ever been laid down their lives in Christian history. Uh, mm-hmm. The works of the righteous men, righteous not in and of ourselves, but but righteous in Christ. The works of the righteous man endure forever. So the things of the world are passing away. Uh, we don't know, for example, who was uh, the executioner of many of these martyrs, but the martyrs' uh, names we remember. We know their stories and we know their testimonies. And that's what's important about red martyrdom is the testimony that's made. Yeah. It endures until Christ comes again. Uh, it, 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 um, it, it, it paves the way for the expansion of the church. And it is not a response to persecution. Typically, it can even raise up more persecution against the church. Um, but uh, it is that it is what the Bible calls faithful unto death. Yeah, you know, and, and I was thinking, you know, as you were talking to this whole idea that the church is on the offense. And, yes. you know, and I would think about it, you know, like, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's like we're, we're locking arms as Christians and, you know, we're just trying to hold off the darkness and the yeah, enemy, yeah. but it's actually the other way. It's going into enemy territory. And that's, you know, what causes, you know, the persecution. It's like, I know people, you know, will say in Canada, you know, and, and I think well-meaning saying, you know, we need, we need persecution in Canada. We need persecution <laughs> in the United States to make us stronger. Well, yeah. we know from church history, there's places in the world where persecution came upon a church that was, you know, maybe very religious or nominal yeah. and almost cleared the whole church out. We have to be careful what we pray for. And even I'll say, well, yeah, we pray that God will do what he needs to do to wake up the church so that we can be those strong witnesses for Christ. Okay, Eric, let's go on to green, which represents Christians who obey, uh, you know, Jesus' command to take up the cross, to do that daily, and uh, living lives of self-denial. So ex- help us to explain a little more about what green martyrdom looks like. Yeah, I mean, if I were to give it to you in a phrase, I would say it's dying to self. Uh, um, it's, it is, it is when we die to our own plans and goals and ways of thinking. And again, there ought, we ought to be thinking here about the scriptures that literally dozens of scriptures, uh, that, that are related to this very topic of dying to our ways of thinking. There's a way that seems right to a man. It leads to death, right? And, uh, when we, when we die to our plans and our goals, we don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, we focus on today. Sufficient to today are the troubles thereof, but tomorrow uh, we leave to the Lord. Uh, and so, so green martyrdom uh, is the way that the church has always, it's kind of the shorthand color scheme that the church has used to talk about dying to ourselves. Um, and so it is the way that we take up the cross, uh, dying to ourselves. We, 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 it is no longer I who live, says the apostle Paul, but Christ who lives through me. That's mm-hmm. a classic green martyrdom scripture. And so um, when Martin Luther said that red martyrdom was the easiest of the three, um, the two that he had in mind, we'll talk about white martyrdom in just a moment, but green martyrdom and white martyrdom, he said, were much harder. Dying to ourself actually uh, becomes much harder than the physical act of laying down our lives. Tell you a funny story, Greg. I was speaking years ago. You know, I've had the opportunity to speak in 40 different, more than 40 countries uh, related to North Korean Christians and uh, persecution. So I was speaking in a Western country. And afterwards, uh, this woman came up to me. She was a sweet older woman. She was crying. 
And she said to me, she said, you know, your, your message really changed my life. I'm ready to lay down my life for the Lord. I just have a question. It doesn't hurt, does it? <laughs> so um, there is an example of how people uh, put the martyr, forms of martyrdom in the wrong order. Because uh, of course, I told her, of course it hurts. And she said, really? I'm so sad. I thought that maybe at the last moment, Christ takes you out of, his, out of your body so that you don't feel anything. I said, yeah, of course it hurts. I said, if you get your fingernail torn off when you're being tortured, it feels like your fingernails being torn off. So um, that what she was missing was that green martyrdom, that dying to ourselves. And so that is a daily death, right? That's when Paul talks about dying, to da dying daily. Uh, when he says, I die daily, what are we dying to? Uh, we're saying, not my will, but your will be done. Again, there's green martyrdom, Christ uh, uh, and uh, in his words to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, is how we think about green martyrdom. Anytime we say, not my will, but your will be done. Mm -hmm. There is a death that's happening and there is a witness that's being made. What the witness that's being made is Christ is sufficient. Christ plan for me is better than my plan for myself. Christ's ways of thinking about my life are better than my ways of thinking. So green martyrdom is about no longer trusting what we see, what we feel, what we understand, what we know, what we experience. We, we All of those things become subject to the word of God. And so uh, green martyrdom, Martin Luther said uh, that green and white martyrdom, once you, once you had gone through green and white martyrdom, he said red martyrdom was no big deal. And what he meant was, is that when it is that we're seeking what the Lord wants for our life, once we've come to the point of trusting that his plan for our life is better than our own plan, then that's how red martyrdom becomes an act of joy. That's why it is that martyrs are joyful. They're not saying, oh, I'm joyful because I'm not feeling any pain. It's not that there's a spiritual anesthetic. It's that they've died to their own ways of thinking. They're no longer counting on what they see or understand or feel to determine their lives. So that's green martyrdom. Yeah, you know, and it's not easy to die to yourself. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we get, you know, the sort of the tough guys, you know, we get out there and we're, you know, meeting with the persecuted church and we're driving around with, you know, security or going into these very dangerous places and, you know, I'll die for Jesus, but you come back home and you're not prepared to die to yourself and your own Absolutely. ambitions and your own ego and, that's where it gets a little bit uh, touchy, I think, Eric. And I, I, let, me, let me tell you yeah. a story, in fact. Yeah, I was go ahead. to a guy, highly qualified guy who uh, we were considering for a pit position in our organization. And he said, you know, he said, I've resolved. Uh, he said, you know, I had a, he talked about having a dream or a vision where the Lord had shown him that he would be martyred uh, for Christ in China. And so um, uh, I have learned over our 20 years of writing Voice of the Martyrs Korea that I, I don't place a lot of um, stock in those kind of stories when people tell me that. I, I, they could possibly happen. But the interesting thing was, as we talked further, we talked about that um, you know, our office hours are nine to five every day. And um, he was living quite far from the office. He said, man, he said, you know, that's gonna be like an hour commute for me uh, each way. He said, I, I just, I, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> There's another great example, right? So we always say to people, don't worry about laying down your life in China as a martyr for Christ. Worry about um, how you're looking at your own commute and what kind of a person you're being as you drive and you're tooting your horn. The, the dying to yourself daily is something that is impossible for human beings. It is not an act of will. This is why when we talk about salvation by grace through faith, what we know is, is that it, it arises from faith that we can say, not my will, but your will. 
And um, that on a day-by-day basis, Christ is putting our flesh to death as we go through our things like our commute to work. And uh, we can't skip those steps. We get so many people uh, from all over the world. God bless them, Greg. They tell us, they say, I'm ready to go to North Korea and die. And I say, do you speak Korean? They say, no, I'll need a translator. And I say, well, you know, uh, what we always recommend you do is study Korean there in your home country. You know, you can take the courses online, you can take them for free. People say, hey, I'm a really busy guy. I don't have the time. So they sound like absurd examples, but Greg, all of us, myself, you, we do those things every day. We rationalize those things. We justify ourselves. We justify why it has to be my plan. We justify our ways of thinking. And um, Christ is putting those to death. So that's why it's not a function of the strength of willpower uh, that that leads us to green martyrdom. It is always Christ's act in our life. And our role in that is faith. Our role is trusting in him. That when we face opposition and difficulties, instead of saying, oh, God is too far away. God wasn't faithful. We know that he's being faithful to to what what he showed us at baptism, which is, is that we're entering into his death. And his death means his death. And his death refers to our commute, and it refers to the difficulties we face in our marriage. It refers to the fact that sometimes at work, I don't get treated with the respect I deserve. Green martyrdom is about those ways of dying to ourselves and what we think uh, should be happening in our lives, what we think God should be doing. I think we get a we should get off green martyrdom because I'm feeling too convicted. <laughs> <laughs> well, white white martyrdom won't make you feel any better. No, either. I know. Maybe we just stop. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll we'll keep going. But you know, I know as I started to travel, and you know, you go to for me, it was Ethiopia, and then South Sudan, and then later to Egypt, and then you know, to just to a number of places. You know, I'd come back from these trips. You know, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to let the little yeah. things get me down. And then you get some bill in the mail, and then. God, where are you? You've abandoned me. Yeah, and and I, right. I think the thing is we need to talk about this because we can get pretty discouraged that we think, you know, we're that man or woman of faith and we're going to conquer these things. I'm going to slay the dragons. And then the littlest things trip us up yeah. and, oh, God, you've abandoned me. So it's it's important. And, I you know, and as we're talking, I can see, okay, yeah, red, okay, I get that. Green, that's just a little bit too close to home. Yeah. With fear and trepidation, Eric, let's go into white. Tell me about that. So white martyrdom is is dying to the world. And and the same kind of principles hold true there. We're dying to the world's ways of thinking. We're dying to the world's plans and goals for us. These are the kinds of things um, where we run into difficulties because our families have one expectation of us. Our culture has an expectation of us. And um, our boss has an expectation of us. So when we speak about dying to the world, what we're saying is is that uh, we're going to be people of one mind and one Lord. And along the way, Jesus is going to say things like, uh, hey, and and anybody who doesn't hate their mother or father can't follow me. And anybody that um, goes out into the world and expects not to face persecution, you're 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 deluding yourself because if I faced it, said Jesus, you're going you're gonna to face it even more uh, because the, the servant is, is not greater than the master. So um, again, you can see we're talking about not just a, uh, some kind of a concept or a theological idea that the church invented along about the third, fourth, fifth century. They just put it in colors because it was really easy to remember that. And so that color of white reminds us that um, 
we, um, we are, Paul says, um, I'm, I am, it is through the cross that I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. Again, that doesn't come about through willpower. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit do it? He puts us in those situations where we have the difficulty with our families and with our boss. That's not just, a, you know, sometimes people are very quick to chalk that up to saying, oh, I'm under spiritual attack. Uh, but we really should understand that uh, between now and the time that we go to be with Christ or he comes back to be with us, part of that discipleship process on a daily basis is going to be the world trying to shape us in its image. But Paul says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And so, again, these are all scriptures that relate to white martyrdom. They're how um, in green martyrdom, we say, I'm going to die to my ways of thinking. I'm going to die to what I want. And so I had a plan for my life. I had certain things that I wanted for myself. I want to be married now. I want to um, be rich. I want to live in the mountains, not in the, uh, you know, in the, in the prairies. Uh, you know, I don't want to be a missionary to India. Those are, those are matters for green martyrdom. White martyrdom are the expectations society places on us. So now we're getting into issues about uh, the sexual revolution, uh, about uh, sex before marriage, about um, um, evangelizing in, in the workplace, all of these kinds of issues. And it's typically, you know, white martyrdom is the area where we see the most um, uh, legal difficulties and challenges uh, are going to happen in that area. It's that the world says you're going to do it this way, and we're completely perpendicular to the world. So those are areas of white martyrdom. And again, the scripture has a lot to say about that. So circling back around to Martin Luther's statement, then he said, look, uh, if, if he didn't use the green and white uh, language, um, but in his writing, uh, he talked about dying to ourselves and dying to the world, those, those uh, aspects of, of, um, of life. He said, once you die to yourself and die to the world, which again, you can't do by your own strength or willpower, it's the Holy Spirit's going to take you through that. Then red martyrdom, no big thing. And so... Um, you, you mentioned something a moment ago, Greg, where you were saying about uh, sometimes we can look at ourselves and get down on ourselves mm -hmm. about these because the smallest things can trip us up. But I want to bring a word of hope in that regard. And it's something that comes about um, for me from the fact that in Voice of the Martyrs Korea, since we started 20 years ago, we have had 38 red martyrs. We have had 38 men and women who have, on our team who have laid down their lives for Christ in our work on behalf of North Korean and Chinese Christians. So we continue to care for their families. Uh, in some of the cases through Voice of the Martyrs Canada, we've told their stories. In some of the cases, we won't be able to tell their stories for some time because they're still part of churches or families that are still working together with us. But a lot of nights I've sat staring at the ceiling overnight in the dark. And one of the things I think about is why those 38? You know, what, why, was it, why did the Lord take those 38 and not me? not my wife. Why, in, in it's as odd as it sounds, sometimes it's harder to be the one to be left behind. Yeah. You know, um, I certainly wouldn't compare myself to John in the gospel, but I wonder if John had those same kinds of thoughts as he looked at all of his uh, fellow apostles who had been martyred, and he wondered, Lord, why, why am I still here? Yeah. But one of the things that I've determined, Greg, about those 38 martyrs that we've had, when I say, what do they have in common? They were not, I repeat, not our boldest believers. They were not our best preachers. They were not the people that when adversity hit, they dug down and they found a lower gear. 
They were not the people who um, um, uh, refused to uh, deny Christ uh, because they were so passionate in their evangelism. They all had one thing in common, and it's, it's exactly what you wouldn't expect me to say, which was they were weak. They were weak. And we think of weakness as the opposite of martyrdom. We think of martyrs as strong people. But what it means to be weak is when we know ourselves, when we know that we're, we, we are the, the clay jars that Paul talks about, when he says that we have this treasure in clay jars, we don't put any confidence in ourselves. And so at the first sign of trouble, instead of, you know, getting our, our hands up and saying, oh, okay, I'm ready. I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stand for what's right. Uh, what the weak do is they run to the Lord and uh, they cling to the Lord. And so the best way I can picture martyrdom uh, for people, um, and it, it, again, it's so opposite how people normally think of martyrdom. And yet, Greg, I know you'll testify with me that this is true about the martyrs that we know, is that it's, it's almost, if, if you'll allow me an example or a metaphor, it would be like, for example, if, um, you know, my wife is our, it, it, our we're co-founders here of the ministry. And so my wife's in charge of our field ministry. She does all the work and I talk about it. That's our, our division of labor. And so, but let's say that right now police burst through the door and they, they tried to take my wife away. And uh, uh, I uh, ran and grabbed onto her and wouldn't let her go. Is that a sign of strength or is that a sign of weakness? Now we'd be quick to say, oh, it's a sign of strength because you're standing up to the police and whatever. But I know in my heart what it is, is it's that I know I can't be separated from my wife. She's, she's one body with me. She's so much a part of what I am. I couldn't imagine being separated from her. So I cling to her. So the 38 martyrs that we have in Voice of the Martyrs Korea history, they were all weak. They knew not to put trust in themselves. They knew of their failings. They knew of their limitations. At the first sign of trouble, they ran to the Lord. And so this is what always gets people in trouble in interrogations is that they try to outthink the police. They try to outwill the police. And as you know, Greg, nobody wins in interrogation, no. always lose. So the only way to win, so to speak, is to cling to Christ. And that's what red martyrdom is about, is it said that at the first sign of bodily trouble, we cling to Christ. And so martyrs are known for their weakness, not their strength. You know, I've been in a few of those situations where we have been, you know, taken into custody. And, you know, these guys are trained. We're not. My blood pressure is, you know, is going pretty high. It's like my wife has told me, you're a terrible liar, which yeah. is, which is good for her, you know, but, but yeah, I, right. but you know, but Jesus does promise that he will give us the words to speak. Yeah. And, and I think at those moments, it's, I mean, again, your mind is rushing and you're thinking, you know, um, is this it? Am I going to be in prison for the rest of my life or worse? Yeah. Uh, you know, so all those things that go through our minds, but if we can in those, you know, at any time when we're facing obstacles or difficulty, you know, it might be in a work situation where somebody's attacking the gospel or whatever. It's, as you say, to run back to the Lord, you know, because yeah. he promises never to leave us or forsake us. So if we can calm down in those situations yeah. and just say, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do. And then I think at that moment, he says, okay, now yeah. you and got it right. That's the purpose of green and white martyrdom. This green and white martyrdom, what are we doing? Is is that normally when we face troubles, we turn to two sources. One is ourself, our own strength, willpower, knowledge, experience, insights, and feelings. 
or we turn out to the world. We look to the legal process. We, we um, um, look for um, uh, our peer group. So those are always the ways that we turn instead of putting our faith in Christ. So once we've died to ourselves, once we know that there's no good thing in us, once we know that our, our wills are fractured and that they can't withstand much pressure, once we know that, um, that, that, that the world can't offer any real hope, then that's why we're quick to turn to Christ. So in fact, uh, just in, the, in our, uh, uh, I, I would say even concurrently as we're having this interview, dealing with one of our field team members who is in the process of being investigated. And um, the, as he's gone through this investigation, in the country he's in, you don't get a lawyer. There's no such thing as a legal defense. There are no laws in your favor. So he can't turn to the world. And then they try to get inside of his head uh, by saying things like, well, uh, if you don't confess, you're going to go to jail for a long time. Your kids aren't going to be able to go to school, these kinds of things. So you start thinking and you try to figure out, how am I going to outsmart this investigator? You're lost. There's, there's no way you're automatically going to lose. But our brother, what he's done is he's done what the Bible commands him to do. He says, look, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow to me or to my kids. What I know is I can trust Christ today. So I'm not putting my trust in my ability to withstand this pressure. I'm not putting my trust in my uh, it, that, that somehow I can persuade the police that I'm a good guy. Instead, he's just trusting fully in the Lord. And so it's that weakness, our, the awareness of our own weakness. It is the awareness that the world has nothing to offer to us. We cling to Christ, but it's not this kind of bold, impressive faith. It is just this, this awareness that Christ is our only hope. And Jesus said, even a little of that faith, uh, which really I, I prefer even to call it trust, even a little trust in the Lord can move a mountain. And so uh, that's why uh, people are always barking up the wrong tree when they say, oh, I'm going to try to grow in my faith. I'm going to build myself up so that I can endure this persecution. You got it exactly wrong. The Lord knows what he's doing and he's guiding us through the process daily. He's putting ourselves to death every day. We're wasting away every day. We're finding out that the world can't be trusted and what is left is simply a faith in Christ that we cling to. And that is always the, the, the core of faithful witness. That is a faithful witness. There is no good thing in me. And, uh, and, and, and my hope is not in the yeah. world. It's only in Christ. And that faithful witness is what green, white, and red martyrdom ultimately, that, that's how the Lord teaches us those things. Yeah, and it's, it's in our weakness when he's made strong. But man, Absolutely. we have been conditioned yeah. that we got to be strong. We got to be tough. We got to do, you know, I'm super macho Rambo Christian. And, yeah. and the Lord saying, no, 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 that's not what I want. And when we read the Bible, we see, you know, people like the apostle Paul, he, he just said, there's nothing good in me. It's yeah. only Christ in me. And to think that we can maybe do it better than a guy like Paul or all those throughout the centuries that have learned that it's in weakness that, you know, when we turn to Christ, that's when we really are strong because it's him in us. Eric, I really appreciate the conversation. When we come back next time, we're going to be talking about we will be his martyrs for the Bible tells me so. We'll look at that next time on Closer to the Fire podcast. And uh, by the way, if you'd like to get more information about what we're doing at the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, you can go to vomcanada.com. As I mentioned, Eric at uh, Voice of the Martyrs Korea, where I, we have the information on the uh, show notes on the podcast. Please tell your friends and family uh, about this podcast. It's, it's not to lift up the Voice of the Martyrs. It's to lift up Jesus 
as we learn together, as we pray for the persecuted church and reach out to our brothers and sisters who are suffering, we want to encourage them as they proclaim the great message of Jesus Christ again. Eric, thank you. And we look forward to talking to you next time. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.